0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, Spontaneous Evolution, and The Honeymoon Effect. He's done groundbreaking research at Stanford University, which revealed the nature of the biochemical pathways in which the mind controls behavior and genetic activity.
0: Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Welcome, Bruce. I'm really excited to have Bruce on our program today. Bruce is a um, cell biology professor, taught medical school. He has worked at many major universities, and he quit teaching in an effort to take some of his thoughts about life in general, biology in general, and really just spread a very strong healing message to the world. And his book, Biology of Belief has, made, has been a best-selling book for years It has a major impact on me personally. Um, I'm now learning more about the neuroscience behind the biology of beliefs. So I'm very excited to have Bruce on the show. And uh, Bruce and I have spent a lot of time together. We've become good friends. Uh, we can talk forever. So we both have made a pact to try to keep each other somewhat reined in. So anyway, Bruce, welcome.
2: David, I am so happy to be here with you, but more especially with the audience that we have out there, because these are people that are so much involved with helping humanity from the crisis that we're in to a better way of life on this planet. So uh, very much appreciate our audience. I, I refer to them as the cultural creatives, the ones that are looking outside the box for answers that we need now.
0: So Bruce, I'm going to jump way to the end of the story. I mean, it's going to sound pretty grandiose, and it is. But none of us have, neither one of us, have been accused of being small thinkers. Is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah, uh, so much that uh, I had to get out of the university because of limited thinking that was present in the medical school. That's where I was. I was a professor in the medical school, and it was like. Boy, there's some narrow thinking and uh, you try to get out of the box in that world and it's very difficult and, uh, you know, I, I have a moment of uh, platform here so I just like to say it. Look, um, I taught in medical school for years since uh, 1970s. Uh, and one thing I noticed very clearly is that medical school has a unfortunate connection with the pharmaceutical industry. and uh, this this creates quite a problem because it focuses medical education on the mechanical, physical, chemical nature of life, leaving out what I think, and of course, working with you, you think at some point is recognizing the consciousness, uh, the relevance of this energy field is profoundly more important than the relevance of the chemistry.
0: Right. So I'm going to act again, work backwards a little bit. So what is the basic message? Maybe one or two, major messages that you would like to bring to the world?
2: Well, let's make two of them. I'll try to make two, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, Number one, um, having worked uh, as a pioneer in a field called epigenetics. To me, this is profoundly important because the public has been programmed with the belief that genes control their life. And, And then you add to, so what is the education? Oh yeah, well, the genes come together from mother and father and create the egg. And then we come from that. So uh, we get our genes from other people. And then uh, we're told that uh, the genes control our characters. Uh, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, but if I want to change my characters, all of a sudden it says, oh, I got to change my genes. Right. And the last part is that the big one is, oh, genes turn on and off by themselves. So all of a sudden it says like, well, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden a, a cell says, hey, turn this cancer gene on, boom, now I got cancer. And it's like the conclusion of all of this is that as far as we know, we didn't pick them. We can't change them. And then thirdly, that they activate themselves uh, puts us in a position of being victims of our heredity. What's running in your family, you can anticipate that experience coming into your life. uh, And we bought that. And it's like, well, that makes people victims, which means that we make them powerless. Uh, And when a person is powerless, they will seek whoever offers them that power and pay them whatever the heck they want. Uh, And and our our talk together, David, and what our work together is very important is about taking that power back uh, and recognizing what the new science of epigenetics is and epigenetics, epi means above. So uh, let's use it in a common word, epidermis, skin. Right. And say, what does it mean? Epidermis, above the dermis. So now I say our characters are under epigenetic control. And I say, what does that mean? Our characters are under the control of something above epi, the genes, above the genes. And now with the new science of epigenetics, we recognize that the environment, and more specifically in regard to humans, are consciousness, uh, of the world in which we live, is what controls our genes. Uh, right. Yeah, that is
0: just So powerful. let me try to give an orthopedic explanation of epigenetics and have you correct me? Yeah. So just for the audience, epigenetics is that the fact that you have a sequence of DNA that gets messaged by RNA to give signals to the body to create proteins. So we're. I was taught in medical school before I knew about epigenetics, is that you do have a sequence that is permanent, but their expression is controlled by choices in your environment. So you have a lot of choices in how the genes are expressed, but with epigenetics, there's little molecules that are attached to the gene sequence that allow it to be expressed or not expressed. Am I correct in that?
2: Well, that's half of it because yes, a, a very simple reason, why should I express or not express a gene? Well, one of the things is this, outside of the immune system, uh, all of our cells, muscle, skin, bone, you know all that stuff, only use one of the set of genes. Remember, you got two sets, one from your mother, one from your father. So the characteristics of which one is going to express the paternal version or the maternal version is then due to how environment will activate one or will inactivate one, which then leaves the other one working. And that's when you put methyl groups onto the DNA and you decide which one is going to be the active one. But the second part is to me more important because a chromosome is made out of 50% DNA and 50% protein. And nobody really understood the significance of the protein until recent times, especially epigenetics. And I go, why? The protein is the regulator of the reading of the DNA. And and by adjusting the uh, proteins of the chromosome, you can adjust the readout of a gene. A gene is a blueprint right um, uh, and with epigenetics affecting the proteins of the chromosome the chromosome then can cut the blueprint with like a pair of scissors and then re- you know connect it in different configurations so one blueprint cut and pasted together in different ways can make over 3,000 different proteins. What what controls which proteins? Uh, Because some of them might be healthy proteins or in fact, something like cancer. Uh, Everyone was blaming on the genes, but now we recognize it's an environmental consequence uh, for like 90% of cancer patients have no history of cancer in their family. Uh, (laughs) uh, And so it's epigenetics that uh, we are manifesting it through how we respond to the world. So that means you could have a normal gene and then if you're not in harmony with the world around you, you could alter the readout of that gene so it is actually in disharmony. Uh, uh, And and all of a sudden it says, we used to think all of of like our diseases are connected to our genes. And it turns out less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. Go so this conversation
0: is going to go by very quickly because we're not going to remotely cover what I want to cover, but right. yeah, how, so- no, no, you're, you're dead on. I'm actually, um, I'm trying to keep myself from talking. I want to hear <laughs> you talk. So, but, but here's the thing. Okay. So we're talking about anxiety and anger, which we've talked about. You've mentioned our automatic survival reactions. We have no control over. So if we're under threat, your gene puts out proteins that say, look, danger, I'm going to respond in this manner. So I'd like to discuss that just for a second, but then jump into the finish off this segment about how, how do our belief systems and the way we approach life change our genetic expression? In other, words, what, what ha- in other words, the epigenetics is how the genes are expressed, but how do our belief systems actually affect that?
2: Okay, so what I was saying about the chromosomes, for example, is that there's a DNA component and a protein component. The protein responds to environmental signals, and then those signals then alter the chromosomal proteins, which then in turn uh, regulate and control the reading of that DNA. Uh, So uh, very quickly, look, uh, 50-some years ago, I was putting stem cells in culture and growing them. Stem cells are embryonic cells. I put one stem cell in addition, it divides every 10 or 12 hours. That first is one, two, four, eight, 16, doubling. 30,000 cells are in the plate a week later, all of them genetically identical because they came from one parent. So here, I'm gonna make this jump, it's important. Uh, I split the 30,000 cells into three petri dishes. So I have 10,000 cells in each dish. All- point, all the dishes are genetically identical cells, and I feed them what is called growth medium, and this is the critical point, growth medium is laboratory version of blood. So if I grow human cells, I say, what's in in human blood? And then I make culture medium. Uh, And since I could vary the chemistry a bit, I made three different versions of culture medium chemically, And but I have three plates of cells, but they're all genetically the same. And so the culture medium is environment. So let's say environment A, my stem cells form muscle. In a different culture medium, environment B, the cells form bone. And yet in the third dish, genetically identical cells, but a different environment, the cells form fat cells. Well, this blew my mind 50 some years ago because we were telling people genes control life and this experiment revealed totally false. The expression of muscle, bone, fat wasn't based on the genes. They all had the same genes. It was based on the cell's response to the environment, the culture medium. Now I want to take the big jump, and this is where it becomes important. I'm talking about cells in a plastic dish. And I'm going to go, but if you look at yourself in the mirror and see a single entity, and I go, well, that's an illusion because a human is made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. The Bruce is a name for 50 trillion cells. Bruce is a name for a community. So I say, and this is the catch. The body is a skin covered Petri dish, 50 trillion cells. And I go, yeah, but it's the environment, the culture medium that determines the fate as I showed in the plastic dish. Each culture medium can activate muscle or bone or connective tissue or any combination. And I go, so why is it relevant? I say, well, in your skin covered dish you have the original culture medium called blood. And I go, so the chemistry of the blood alters the genetics of the cell, whether it's in a plastic dish or in a skin dish. And then I add the last and most important part. Well, then who controls the chemistry of the blood because the chemistry of the blood is then turned into genetic expression. And I go, the brain is the chemist. Uh, but that doesn't answer the fully the question because the question really comes down, to what chemistry should the brain be putting into the culture medium blood? And that's where the whole thing changes our world because it says the brain uh, takes a, a, the vision of our consciousness, a vision of health, a vision of fear, a vision of anger, whatever it is, and translates that vision of consciousness into complementary chemistry. So there's a chemistry when a person's in love, the brain chemistry is quite different than if a person has a stress image in their mind. Oh, that's completely different chemistry. And I go, but the chemistry is what controls the genetics. And you put it all together and then you recognize what is the science of epigenetics? Whatever picture I hold in my mind, it will be translated into complementary chemistry in the growth medium called blood. The blood then goes out and controls the genetics of the cells. So basically it says, consciousness is creating the character of our genetics. And I then Got it. just leave with the most important conclusion. And that is, we control our consciousness. So it right. says we're not victims. We are masters of our genetics. Got it.
0: No, that's a really nice explanation. That's really clear because the state of your body's chemistry, what we call physiology, determines your quality of life. So if you're full of of oxytocin, the love drug, serotonin, antidepressant, dopamine, pleasure drugs, growth hormone, anti-inflammatory proteins called cytokines. If your body's in that state of, I'll use the word play, your sense of peacefulness and contentment is very high. But if you're full of adrenaline, cortisol, noradrenaline, um, all these other stress chemicals and inflammatory cytokines, you feel anxious and agitated. But I want want to ask that question. You've said this several times, which I find intriguing. You said you take the same cells and you put them in a stress chemical environment versus a nurturing environment. The cells act much differently.
2: Oh God, so profoundly. Uh, I I could say there are two status states of our cells. Cells can be in growth where they take care of themselves and maintain themselves and keep the health of the system. Or cells can get in protection. because there's a point in our world, well, sometimes you need to protect yourself and sometimes you need to grow. Well, you need to grow all the time Uh, very quickly is because as I said, you're made out of 50 trillion cells and every day, hundreds of billions of your cells die, everybody, every day. So to stay alive, you still, every day, you have to have more new cells, hundreds of billions. So uh, that's called the growth part, making the stem cells replace the dead cells. Uh, So I said, growth is where we have to stay. Protection. If we go back, when, let, let's give an image of when was protection evolving? I say, well, consider the time where uh, there were saber-toothed tigers out there. And I say, uh, and we're out there in the field, you know, hunting gatherer, you know, we're, we're eating berries and all that. And then the damn tiger comes up. I say, well, this is not a time to grow any berries. This is time to protect yourself to get away from the fear. And then here comes the consequence of protection is blood carries energy. So I'm going to say, well, what energy do I need? Where do I need the energy if I'm running from a tiger? And the answer is arms and legs. And I go, and here's a textbook phrase that says, in time of stress, the the blood of the body is distributed in a, a different fashion. I go, what do you mean distribute in different fashion? I say, well, in a time of growth, the blood is concentrated in the viscera, the gut, the abdomen, we're all the organs of growth, maintenance, cleaning, that's where it goes. So energy is supporting our growth. But if times of fear, when stress hormones are released, they squeeze the blood vessel shut in the gut uh, which we sometimes feel as butterflies in the stomach when we get a little frayed that's the blood vessel shutting i say why because it causes the blood to be pushed out into the arms and legs that's where i need the energy the blood is the carrier of the energy so i say so first thing that happens is this what happens with stress i go it shuts down the growth and maintenance of the body and gets you prepared for fight or flight because you're going to put that blood in there Okay, and then there's a more important one uh, in regard to our physiology of the uh, the immune system. I go, why is that relevant? Immune system is protection on the inside. If I'm being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, uh, the immune system is not what's important to me (laughs) anymore. Uh, I got to run like hell. I go, so why is it relevant? Uh, And the answer is the immune system uses a lot of energy. If you've been sick, sometimes you don't even have the energy to get out of bed. So if I'm running from a tiger, I don't want to put my energy in the immune system. I need to escape the tiger. So stress hormones shut off the immune system. Well, now we've shut off growth. Now we shut off the immune system. And and, and lastly, the, the blood vessels in our thinking brain, our conscious brain, in stress hormones, those blood vessels squeeze shut just like the ones in the gut. I said, why should I squeeze the blood vessels in my brain, my conscious brain? And the answer is because when you squeeze the blood vessels in the forebrain where consciousness is, it pushes the blood, extra blood into the hindbrain where reaction and reflexes occur very fast, okay? Conscious is slow. (laughs) Subconscious, a million times more powerful and and very fast. So I say, so what was the point? The tiger's chasing you. I say, yeah, for during that chase, I'm not going to put any energy into growing and maintaining my body. I'm not putting any energy into my immune system. And I'm not even using my thinking. I'm running. And I go, well, cool, because back in those days, once you escape the saber-toothed tiger, then protection response was stopped and growth is then reinitiated again. Right. And then I say, in today's world, this is where the screw-up comes from is because we're living in a, such a stress world that it's 24 seven stress. I say the immune system and growth maintenance wasn't designed to be shut off <laughs> or you know restricted for long periods of times. So I say, well, what's the result of that? And I say, illness, that's why stress causes disease. It shuts down the growth and the maintenance of the body, shuts down the immune system, even shuts down our intelligence while we're under stress. And I say, well, That's more than the 10 minutes in evolution to run away from the the tiger. We're stressed all day. right? And that's the biggest cause of illness on this planet. It's up to 90% of illness on this planet is due to the stress. Genes only account for less than 1% of illness. And everyone thought, oh, the genes were controlling everything. We got the gene, we can fix everything. It's like, no, the genes were never the problem. It was the consciousness that was translated into chemistry which in turn, via epigenetics, the chemistry was then controlling the fate of the body.
0: there's a paper, out of, there's a paper out of UCLA room Dr. Stephen Cole, who demonstrated that it is chronic stress goes to the genome, to genetic code. <clears throat> there's about 30 genes that turn on that turn on what's called warrior warrior monocytes. They're white blood cells that are effective against bacteria and viruses but they're like puppies. They also attack your own tissues. What sets off these warrior monocytes is chronic stress. The other factor being social isolation. So I want to just rephrase something a little bit differently here. So people think stress is a psychological phenomenon, but it's your body's, it's a total body response to a threat. So you can, so it's not just, first of all, I don't use the word mind body anymore because the brain and the body are just a unit. You cannot fly a Boeing jet without a computer. You're not going to run the human body without a brain and central nervous system. So to me, it's just a unit response. And I don't like the term mind body because it implies a separation. So when I use the word stress to me, the word, because most people, and I ask this question a lot, most people think that stress is well, psychological. Well, stress kills us. We know the data is that you're under chronic stress. You live on an average of seven years, shorter lifespan. So is dying psychological? No. So what you just described is a physiological process, which which your whole body is in fight or flight, is not regenerating. But you also talk about the experiment when you put your cells in a Petri dish and expose them to stress chemicals versus growth chemicals, the results were pretty profoundly different.
2: Yeah. In a state of growth, what you would expect and what happens is the cells proliferate and fill up the plate and everything and they're healthy and vibrant. And I say, but the same cells in a stress chemistry, Uh ultra medium, they stop growing and shortly begin to die, fall off the Petri plate. They're done because you have to maintain maintain the energy of the cell. And if you put stress hormones in, the function of the stress hormones is to redistribute the energy away from individual cells and put it into, into the arms and legs. Uh, in a Petri dish, it it just shuts down growth. So it's like A-B switch. Let let me explain very simply. Uh, If a stimulus is in front of you that is good for you, you move to the stimulus with your arms open to assimilate it, whether it's food or love, whatever is good for you, you go to the stimulus, uh, arms open, assimilate it, that's growth. But if the stimulus is threatening, you don't go to it, you go away from it. And you don't keep your arms open, you close yourself down in protection. And I go, so why is it relevant? I said, simple point. You can't go to a stimulus and away from a stimulus at the same time. You can't be open and closed at the same time. And all of a sudden it says, oh my God, then there's no like gray zone between growth and protection. There's growth and then there's protection because they're mutually exclusive behaviors. Uh, uh, and this is the issue we're facing in our world today, the, the need for protection. I say, what do I need about protection? I say, watch the damn news. Right. And they'll give you reasons every night of why you should be afraid, whether it's a disease or the economy is collapsing or there's political upheaval everywhere. Uh, this is translated by our brain. This is a threat. And when we're under threat, the system automatically Will go into a protection response. It's it's not a conscious thing. Remember, consciousness gets even shut off. Right. <laughs> and right.
0: Right. So we'd like to summarize this section really quick. Because on the next podcast, I want to go into some of the concepts about how belief systems change the expression of your genetic code. But I want to really wrap up right now and point out really clearly that your sense of well-being, your body's function, is dependent on your body's physiology. Absolutely. So if you're full of stress chemicals, you get sick eventually, Even though it's a useful function. If you're full of safety chemicals, you tend to thrive and survive. And that's the essence of disease is sustained exposure to threat physiology. And you, so, um, and then humans have consciousness, which we're going to talk about in the next podcast. But the bottom line is when you have physical symptoms, headaches, stomach pain, back pain, muscle pain, it's your physiology. It's not just a bone spur, it's a physiological f- phenomenon. So Bruce, uh, this, I'd like to finish off here. You have lots of resources that I think are phenomenal. So can you give us um, just a couple things? I know you've written three books. One's The Biology of Belief, which is phenomenal. It's a classic. You also did, there's also a new edition of that just released, right? The Biology of Belief?
2: A couple of years back now, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been, in, it's been, a, it, it was published in 2005. And, and 2015, 10-year anniversary, uh, very just quickly exciting. He was, OK, I got an option to make a 10th anniversary, edit this whole book. And I thought, OK, well, here goes the work. And I got my red pen out and I started reading the book. And the joyous part of it for me was I got to the end of the book and said, I don't need to change anything it's still accurate so what i did was added additional information over the 10 years that reinforces everything i said in the first place so the new version has the original story plus what happened in 10 years since that book came out that supports the biology of belief so it's very exciting
0: then the second book is called the honeymoon effect which my wife quotes all the time thank you bruce So, um, just about falling in love and the sort of basically the physiology of falling in love, right? Am I Absolutely. correct in that? It's a fun book, great story, and I learned a lot from that. And then the last one, I never remember the exact name of it. I just finished reading it, but it really goes into extremely deep historical, pre- you know, um, history of just life in general, evolution of behaviors and societies and civilizations yeah. linking that into physiology which name of that is called spontaneous, spontaneous
2: evolution. evolution we're in it right now in fact right. Uh, right. and i and I, I the reason why i got there just very simply is the biology of belief is how our consciousness controls our own biology our genetics our behavior right and as i was writing i thought well what about shared consciousness and all of a sudden i said oh my god If a large number of people share the same consciousness then collectively they will manifest that reality for all of us. Right. Uh, Because uh, every person, uh, their brain is like a tuning fork. Uh, and, And I say meaning that when their brain is activating the consciousness, the energy of all that consciousness is not contained in your head. We always thought, oh, I put wires on my head, EEG, electroencephalograph. I could read my brain function inside my head Uh, And now there's a newer way of reading brain function. It's not called EEG, electroencephalograph. It's called MEG, magnetoencephalograph. It still reads brain function. But the most important fact is the probes that read it do not touch your head. And I go, what does that mean? I'm reading your brain function from outside. And I says, oh, my God, your thoughts are not contained in your head. They're broadcast out into the field. And so each of us is like a tuning fork, broadcasting uh, an energy field. And that's where all of a sudden I said, but wait, when you get enough people tuned to the same energy, the power of the collective vibration shapes the world in which we live. I mean, your own vibration shapes your little piece of the world, but when a large number of people share the same vibration, that energy collectively changes the world in which we live. Uh, And when we change our consciousness, we change our civilizations. And right the process right now of upheaval of a civilization that is not supporting us and leading to a collapse of our our web of life and extinction, Right, uh, we are doing that. And the basic understanding is simple. You want to survive on this planet? Well, you damn well got to change your consciousness because it's consciousness that is manifesting this. And if I could get that extra million word right here, but short... Uh, While well, biology, uh, where the epigenetics comes in, is a direct physical connection of consciousness affecting our genes of behavior. Absolutely. Uh, from 1927, day one, quantum physics, day one, uh, it was understood theoretically uh, then, uh, Max Planck even made the statement, the mind is the matrix of all matter. So from day one in quantum physics, they already knew that human consciousness was shaping the world experiences that we have consciousness. And today, that was 1927, a recent article, Nature, the most prestigious scientific journal on this planet, an article from a quantum physicist, Richard Con henry he wrote in a book called The Mental Universe, he, the conclusion sentence, I love it, and the most prestigious scientific journal. The conclusion is, the universe is immaterial it's mental and spiritual, live and enjoy. I go, oh my God. <laughs> Quantum physics has been saying that since like 95 years and it's still the same truth. Consciousness is creating it from the physics, which is fundamental to the epigenetics, which is in our life. The same story holds true. So it really is important to recognize this is not a suggestion. Th- this is a fundamental nature of human experience on this planet.
0: No, absolutely. So the final thing is your website is what, Bruce Lipton.com.
2: Very simple, Bruce lipton I
0: th- I think I even I can remember that. So he has a great website, wonderful resource. He also has an additional um small subscription fee for another set of resources behind that website. So lots of resources and Bruce and I are collaborating on some projects and you'll see yes. why that we're two parts of the same story. And so Bruce, thank you very, very much for being here today.
2: David I so appreciate it and I also as I said I appreciate our audience very much because those are the ones that are looking for answers and I hope we provide them with some very empowering information on how we can do a better job of creating creating our health and creating our world right
0: thank you very very much thank you
1: I'd like to thank our guest Dr Bruce Lipton for being on the show today and for explaining how the process of epigenetics allows our consciousness to create the health we want I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com.
0: Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.